0: Is uh Street at 5pm? Yeah, dude it is, yeah. Yeah, thanks man. That's cool. Alex? Alex. Zach? Ben? Hey man, how are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, yeah. Have you seen Alex?
1: No, I haven't. I'm waiting here. Apparently she's taking me on some journey. Yeah, through time and history? Yeah yeah, looked, yeah, yeah.
0: That sounds like Alex. Yeah. Hey, dude, do you know much about art? Yeah, no. Nothing at all. But I was just on Collins Street. Oh really? You look the same as that? No, it didn't, because we all weren't like, walking in the same direction. Everyone would have probably had mobile phones too, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Look at the crowd. Their faces are so expressionless. Yeah, they look so worn out. Yeah, these two here look like my parents after a massive day at the office. Dude, that could be us in 20 years. Oh, nah. It's so drained of colour. Yeah, and it's so repetitive as well. Like, everyone's
0: the same. All the people in the background, they don't even have faces. I reckon Bragg did this on purpose. Yeah
1: the Street 5pm, do you reckon that's got something to do with like the end of the working day? Like everyone's gonna go catch a train or a tram or something? You know, you might be right man. Brad could be commenting on the daily grind. Yeah. Do you reckon that's what Alex is talking about? The, the world inside the artwork? Yeah. This is pretty fun. Do you want to go check out some more artwork? Yeah, let's do it man. Right, cool. Dude, that has got to be the Harbour Bridge. Sydney's coat hanger. Yeah, but it doesn't even look completed yet. It must be a pretty old painting.
0: Well, man, it says here that it was painted in 1930. Pretty old. Yeah, but what was the artist trying to do with this piece?
1: I don't know. It doesn't really look that super realistic, hey? I mean, the colors are all heaps amped up.
0: Look at the brush strokes. It's like they're all focusing towards where the two arms of the bridge are going to meet.
1: Mm, heaps of energy. It's almost like there's an aura around the top. Well, maybe that's what Grace Cosingen
0: Smith was trying to get at. Maybe it was the excitement of the people that the bridge can pull together.
1: A marvel of modern
0: engineering.
2: Hi, guys. Oh, hey, Alex, hey, how are you going? Sorry I'm late. <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty late. Technical. Sorry,
2: sorry, sorry. So, how's it going?
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, we're on a roll.
2: That's great, because I uh, organised us a little trip behind the scenes.
1: Backstage, baby.
2: This is something really special. Whoa. It's Max Dupain's The Sunbaker. Wow.
0: That's a place I'd like to be.
1: Guys, as you know, I've been doing a bit of photography and using my expert eye, we can see here that Dupain has used a low angle to transform the sunbaker from the ordinary into the extraordinary.
0: Yeah, right there, mate. Cos, look, if you took away, like, the head and the hand, it looked like this massive pile of stone, like a mountain.
2: Mm. Well, that's one of the things I love about art. It can give you a completely different way of seeing things. Mm.
1: But what is that?
2: This is by artist Patricia Piccinini.
1: I don't know, but it looks like art can take us into other worlds as well.
2: Other worlds, or maybe the future of our own.
0: It kind of looks cute and creepy at the same time.
1: Check out the kids. They don't even look scared of it. They just look curious.
2: Now, there's a German print I really want to show you, but it's in the International Collection on St Kilda Road. Let's go. Sweet.
1: Wunderbar! Check
2: that out! Und jetzt haben wir einen Durer.
0: Well, Steady up Alex, I don't speak
1: French.
2: Man, it's German. And so is this print. It's nearly 500 years old.
1: 500 wow. years old?
2: And Durer, he didn't paint it or draw it by hand. He actually engraved it into a copper plate. If you look really closely, it's actually made up of heaps and heaps of fine lines to create different tone.
1: Alex, Alex, me and Zach have mastered our powers at observation. I reckon we'll take this one. All right. Yeah,
0: let's do it. So the dude on the horse in the middle, he's obviously pretty important.
1: Yeah, he seems like he's going on a mission somewhere, like he's going up to that castle. Yeah, and look, look at all the people around him, they all seem like they're going to get in his way. <laughs> Check out this creepy dude here, he looks like he's trying to stop him from going wherever he wants to go as well.
2: And look at the skull over there in the corner. Ah,
1: mm. the, the symbol of death. death.
2: Next up, 1930s Spain. Ole!
1: Clashing colors jumbled facial features look at the eyes. They're like bulging out of the sockets She doesn't look that happy to me.
2: This is Picasso's weeping woman Picasso proved early on in his career that he could paint classical portraits and do technical drawings But he was always pushing the boundaries and trying out new things I mean look how he's painted the face both side on and front on at the same time. It's really unique.
0: It's powerful But I'm not sure I like it
2: Sometimes you need to spend a bit more time with an artwork before you can really appreciate it I guess it's kind of like when you meet a stranger and you think they're not really your type, but then... You
0: hang out with them for a bit and you realise they're pretty awesome. Exactly. Okay, so how do we get to know these strangers better?
2: Once you're up to speed with the world inside the artwork, you can learn a lot more by thinking about the world behind the artwork.
1: So you're talking about the back of the canvas?
2: (laughs) Not exactly. It's more about, like, who is the artist and what were they feeling when they created the artwork and what was going on in their world.
0: And why is she crying?
2: In 1937, the Spanish town of Guernica was heavily bombed during the Civil War. Thousands of innocent people died. And Picasso, he was living in Paris at the time, but he read about the incident in the paper and it really affected him because he was Spanish.
1: It must have been pretty hard for him. Yeah, how'd you feel?
2: You can see all the different symbols of war coming through. There are these sharp shapes that look almost like nails or swords or guns. You can see that she's actually enclosed in this grey, cold space. Mm. It's like war has trapped her.
1: So you could say that this is Picasso's response to the horrors of war?
2: Yeah, absolutely. But then, on another level, it's really quite personal because the woman in the painting is thought to be modelled on his partner at the time, who was Dora Ma. She was very beautiful and very clever. I'm
1: guessing he's definitely used a bit of artistic license with her features that there.
2: Yeah, just a bit, but they were together during both the Spanish Civil War and World War II.
1: Troubled times.
2: Well, their relationship was pretty troubled as well.
1: So on one level it's Picasso's reaction to war and on another it's pretty personal. Yeah. Yeah, it's growing on me.
2: Well, that's mm. great. I'm gonna have a look at an exhibition downstairs. Why don't you two have a look around and I'll meet you back in an hour.
1: You lead the way. We
3: got the bomb Sound, we keep it underground, we'll be, we'll be on, yeah. when we drop it
4: on ya, the
5: So Daniel, explain to me mate, what's this? Well, it's an ancient Egyptian canopic chest, it's about 2,000 years old. It was used for storing the liver, lungs and intestines of a dead person. Body parts? Body parts. You're kidding right? But why would someone want to have their organs put in a box? Well the ancient Egyptians believed in the afterlife, which included preserving the body. So because the organs decay quickly, one custom involved removing them, preserving and wrapping them, and storing them in a canopic chest like this to be placed in the tomb.
1: Tell us about the pictures on the outside.
5: Well, the image on the front is actually the owner of the chest, kneeling in front of Osiris and his son Ra, two very significant gods of the afterlife. And the writing on the front? The writing is actually a prayer for the owner, written in hieroglyphics.
1: Mm. (laughs) I thought it was a postal
5: address. (laughs) Destination afterlife. (laughs) Yeah, not quite, mate. But you know what guys, you can learn a lot about different cultures through artefacts mm. and if you find this interesting you might like to have a look at the hollow log coffins in the Australian Indigenous collection.
1: Yeah right, Yeah, we, we've been to the Australian section but we haven't actually checked out the Indigenous part yet. Yeah. Do you want to go do that? Yeah, let's give it a go. Awesome. Thank Thanks. I appreciate dude. that. So Stephen, what's the deal with all these? Well these four objects are actually hollow log coffins. coffins. So bodies actually go inside them? Well, actually the bones of the deceased are placed inside. Wait, so there's bones in here now? No, these have all been painted for the gallery. Oh, let's talk about the artwork. I mean, it's amazing. How's it done? What's it made out of? Well, firstly, the artists find a log that's been hollowed out by termites. Yeah. And then the entire surface is carved or painted with the four colours of ochre. Wow. What's ochre? Well, ochre is the rocks that are then crushed to form painted paste. Oh, oh sure. And let's talk nice. about the meaning behind these works. Well these are all being painted by four artists from one family Mm. and they're all using a very similar way of painting and that's called RARC, it's a cross hatching and this design is really to kind of symbolise the sacredness of country and it's also a way to connect people to their country when they pass on. Mate we've been to Australia, Spain, you know Germany, Egypt, okay well where do you want to go next?
0: You know what I think we should check out some uh, American art man.
1: Alright let's do it, cool thanks Stephen. Dude, where are you going? I don't know.
0: (laughs) You know what? He looks really familiar.
3: It's actually Andy Warhol.
0: Oh, he's the guy who did that uh, Marilyn Monroe print.
3: That's right. He used to do a lot of work with objects like soup cans and soap powder boxes, but also celebrity portraits.
0: Soap boxes and soup cans aren't really art, are they?
3: Well, Andy Warhol wanted to kind of question that idea of art being a precious object, and he wanted to show that anything could be a work of art.
0: So his idea of devaluing art made him a famous artist?
3: It absolutely did. I think it put him in the spotlight in a way perhaps he didn't quite enjoy.
0: He didn't like the fame, or?
3: I don't believe he liked the fame because he was quite a private person.
0: That isn't very private. He's wearing pink face paint.
3: Absolutely. He's still trying to question himself and also the nature of art by putting himself out there.
0: Wow, so he's, he's a pretty deep guy.
3: He was. He would probably call himself quite superficial, in fact. But in many ways, his artworks are saying something a lot deeper.
0: Wow, that's pretty awesome.
3: Oh, see so you found the wiggle chair.
1: Is that what it's called? Looks yeah. like it's got a bit of a wiggle in it. Who's it made by?
3: Frank Gehry, an American architect, produced this series called The Easy Edges in the 1970s. Is that made of cardboard? It is. It's made of 60 layers of cardboard all glued together. 60
1: layers? Yeah. Cardboard's a pretty unusual material to make a chair out of.
3: Yeah, it is, actually. Um, Frank Gehry was known for using really unusual materials in his designs Mm. and in his architecture. And it was about designing low cost, inexpensive furniture for the everyday home.
1: Which would be environmentally friendly, too. Absolutely. Exactly. You seem to know a lot about chairs. Do you work here or do you just like furniture?
3: Both, actually.
1: (laughs) Do you mind if I sat in it?
3: Unfortunately, you can't sit on this one, but there's lots of chairs down in the sculpture garden that you can go and sit on.
1: Okay, I might go and do that.
3: Good idea. Takes your time. Okay.
1: Have you seen Ben?
3: I thought he
2: was with you.
1: Oh, here we go. Ben. Oh, this painting's amazing.
2: Ah, I think this is a Bridget Riley. She became famous in the 1960s, and this one's all about how we see.
1: It's like playing tricks in my eyes.
2: Come
0: on. Whoa, it's huge. It's called The Banquet of Cleopatra.
2: Yeah.
0: So that must be Cleopatra.
2: Yeah. It's by one of the great masters, Tiepolo.
1: What's the story there?
2: Cleopatra was the queen of Egypt, and Mark Antony was a Roman general. He'd been sent to Egypt after it was conquered, and this scene is about a famous bet.
0: I know the story you're talking about. Was this the famous bet? where Mark Antony got invited to a feast by Cleopatra. And Cleopatra knew that he was a bit of a fancy sort of guy, so she tried to outdo him with this feast. So she rides down the river on this massive boat with golden oars. She arrives at the feast and she bet him this would be the most extravagant feast of all time. And she won the bet by dropping that earring into a glass of vinegar and downing
1: the lot. She dropped that and drank it. That must have been one expensive drink. Yeah, and one really bad tasting one as well.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but the picture, it's not just about the bed. It also shows the moment when Mark Antony and Cleopatra meet for the first time and fall in love.
1: So this is meant to be set in the 1700s, right? I thought Cleopatra lived 2,000 years ago.
2: Yeah, well, Tiepolo, he's used the story of Mark Antony and Cleopatra to actually make a comment on his own time. Mm. Venice in the 1700s was a place of sometimes serious decadence and luxury.
0: So what you're saying is that Hieronymus could see the link between the world he lived in and the world that the Egyptians lived in.
2: Yeah, which brings us to a really interesting point. I mean, we've been thinking a lot about the world inside the artwork
0: and the world behind
1: the artwork.
2: Well, there's one other way of looking at artworks, by thinking about the way they've been received in the world since their creation.
1: Oh, like who's owned it? Yeah. Yeah, and where it's been
0: like shown.
2: And how have different societies reacted to it. I guess it's what I like to think of as the world in front of the artwork. Gallery conservators think that this work was actually folded in half before it had fully dried. Well, they had to pack it up somehow because they were gonna transport it by horse all the way across the mountains to Dresden, which is now in Germany.
1: Well, from Venice to Dresden? Yeah. How far would that have been? Oh, about 631 kilometers to be precise, Jack. <laughs> you amaze me.
2: <laughs> well there it hung in a hunting lodge owned by King Augustus III of Poland. Its second owner was actually Tsar Paul I of Russia and he actually put the painting in the ceiling in a room in his palace.
1: In the ceiling?
2: Well yeah but it didn't do him too much good. He was actually assassinated in that very room within the year. Wow. After that it went to a museum in St Petersburg but when there was a radical change of government in Russia. The new leaders decided they didn't really like the painting's themes of extravagance, so they sold it. Then it made one final journey all the way across the seas to Australia to become part of the NGV's collection.
0: Cool. How amazing is it to think, though, like what this picture's seen and lived through? It started in Venice, then it went to 18th century Germany, to 19th century Russia, and then to modern day Australia.
2: I mean, I don't think Tiepolo even knew that Australia existed when he painted it. So, do you like it?
0: Shit, yeah, I love it. That's amazing. Ben? Oh, where's he
1: gone?
2: Maybe he went back to the water wall.
1: She's yeah, probably fallen in the mud. Guys, 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 come check this out now! Come on, quick. Here we go. Okay guys, check this out. Dude. It's a box. No Zach, it's art. Who's it by? Donald Judd. (laughs) And I've done my research. Now, firstly, the world inside the artwork. Look at the strong geometric form. The polished smooth surface, the cool metal outside, and the brilliant blue inside.
2: Mm, It looks almost industrial.
1: Exactly. Point two, the world behind the artwork. Judd wasn't into personal expression. He liked things like form, space, and structure. And he also used industrial materials. He wanted his work to be interactive. Well, that's pretty cool.
2: Which brings us to point three.
1: Point three, the world in front of the artwork. We're a part of that world now, Zach. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. (laughs) pretty amazing about seeing all those artworks in the flesh.
1: Yeah, it's like seeing your favourite band live instead of watching it on a music video.
0: Yeah, exactly. In some of those artworks, like the size of them, you've just got to be there to believe you, no?
2: Well, some artworks you have to get up close to to really appreciate the colours or the textures.
0: You know, it's pretty cool to realise that we're now part of that world in front of the artwork. It's almost like we're making
1: history. Yeah.
2: Well, what we've seen, it's really only a tiny proportion of the collection.
1: Well, what are we waiting
4: for, guys? Let's go check it out pleased to meet you, you opened up my eyes, let me know what's inside. For something new, like you, like you. I've been lost in the dark, trying to find a way to turn. So much I've broken, so much I've got to learn. And it's not so hard to let down my guard When God shook me, I let go of fear I've got so much more to negotiate I'm gonna put my faith in a better state I've been searching, I've been looking I've been dying for something new For something new I've been fighting, I've been crying